Welcome, and thanks for checking out the Living Word Family Church Sermon Podcast. Before we get to the message, we'd like to invite you to check out Living Word Family Church if you don't already have a church home. For more information, you can check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. I was uh, reading and thinking about the last couple of services that we had here this past Sunday and also last Wednesday where we did have uh, prayer lines for times of prayer. You know, it was a healing service last Wednesday. And then Sunday we just had an agreeing uh, a service uh, just about agreeing and thanking God for his promises. Uh, I've gotten a ton of feedback on Sunday's message, so if you missed it, I guess you ought to get it. I think it will encourage you a great deal if, you, if you've been standing on the word and believing for, for something whether it's a miracle of provision, a miracle of healing, of restoration, deliverance, um, there'll be something in there, I think, that, that will uh, give you something solid, make you a little bit stronger, more fervent, and uh, expecting when it comes to the thing that you're praying for. And uh, I want to look at, again, this longish, pas- this longish passage tonight because I think we really can learn some things from it. Uh, that will continue to strengthen and perhaps revitalize our prayer lives. And so a quick review just to sort of set this up. The setting, uh, as I'm sure you remember, is uh, right after the, ca- the captivity. They've been in exile originally under the, you know, they were carried into exile by Babylon. Now they're being ruled over by the Persian Empire, the Medes and the Persians. They have now been allowed, finally, to return to their homeland. There are some people who returned, who came back with Nehemiah and Zerubbabel, uh, who actually had served. They went into captivity. They lived for those 70 years in captivity, and now they're coming back. Of course, a number of these who were coming back had never been there. They were born in captivity. But they had retained their national identity through these 70 years of captivity. And now the Israelites from Judah had been allowed to return And Nehemiah was leading this revival, this national revival that was taking place. And he was determined to make sure that Israel did not uh, repeat the mistakes that landed them in exile in the first place. And that they did not squander this fresh start they were getting as they rebuilt the city. And uh, I'm not going to review the whole book and certainly not the whole history of Israel. But they reach a point where it's time to celebrate. And the time of celebration, uh, they're mourning at the same time because they realize just how much they have indeed squandered God's blessings. And the priests have to tell them, stop your crying. This is a time of celebration. Feast. These things we're sacrificing, go ahead and eat the fat parts of it. Drink the sweet parts of it. And make, make sure you carry a portion to the people who didn't have anything prepared. This is a time for the whole uh, nation of Israel to celebrate. And then um, they come to a point where they're ready to renew their covenant with God. And I find it fascinating, the approach that they take. We're going to read this whole chapter. Uh, and again, better part of three pages. And, uh, but that's all right. I think, I think you'll find it interesting it's a, because you'll see. You'll, I, somebody asked Abraham Lincoln to review a book they had written and sent him a copy of. They thought... A testimonial from the president would help the book sell, and so the review he sent back would said something like, uh, "This is the kind of book those who like this sort of book will enjoy." <laughs> so uh, this is the kind of passage that those who like this kind of passage will enjoy. Chapter nine, beginning in verse one. Now on the twenty-fourth day of this month, 
the children of Israel were assembled with fasting and sackcloth and with dust on their heads. Then those of Israelite lineage, lineage separated themselves from all foreigners, and they stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. Let me just say very quickly that uh, this is not so much a, you're a foreigner so you can't participate in this. What they are going to spend a lot of time doing is confessing their sins, their national sins, which go back all through their history, which the foreigners had no part of. Some of the people that accompanied them on the return were the people who they had, had gotten to know during their captivity. These are Persians and Medes who decide they want to be part of the new Israel. Verse 3, And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for one-fourth of the day. And for another fourth, they confessed and worshipped the Lord their God. Then... Yeshua, Bani, Kadmiel, Bani, uh, Shebaniah, Buni, Bani and Buni, Sherebiah, Bani, eh, and skip the names, stood on the stairs of the Levites and cried out with a loud voice to the Lord their God. And the Levites, these other guys, said, Stand up and bless the Lord your God forever and ever. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. You alone are the Lord. You have made heaven the heaven of heavens with all their host, the earth and everything on it, the seas and all that is in them, you, and you preserve them all. The host of heaven worships you. You are the Lord God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you and made a covenant with him to give him the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, and the Jebusites, and the Girgashites to give it to his descendants. You have performed your words, for you are righteous." You saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt and heard their cry by the Red Sea. You showed signs and wonders against Pharaoh, against all his servants, and, all the, and against all the people of his land. For you knew that they acted proudly against them. So you, made them. so you made a name for yourself as it is this day. And you divided the sea before them so that they, when they went through the midst, sorry, so that they went through the midst of the sea on dry land and their persecutors you threw into the deep as a stone into the mighty waters. Moreover, you led them by day with a cloudy pillar and by night with a pillar of fire to give them light on the road which they should travel. You came down also on Mount Sinai and spoke with them from heaven and gave them just ordinances and true laws, good statutes and commandments. You made known to them your holy Sabbath and commanded them precepts, statutes, and laws by the hand of Moses your servant. You gave them bread from heaven for their hunger and brought them water out of the rock for their thirst, and told them to go in to possess the land which you had sworn to give them. Now they have started this prayer. This is a prayer. And so far, all they have done is reviewed from Genesis through Exodus. And we keep going. But they and our fathers acted proudly, hardened their necks, and did not heed your commandments. They refused to obey. And they were not mindful of your wonders that you did among them. But they hardened their necks, and in their rebellion they appointed a leader to return to their bondage. But you are God, ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abundant in kindness, and did not forsake them. Even when they made, themselves, made a molded calf for themselves and said, This is your God that brought you up out of Egypt and worked great provocations. Yet in your manifold mercies, you did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud did not depart from them by day, 
to lead them on the road, nor the pillar of fire by night to show them light and the way they should go. You also gave your good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manna from their mouth and gave them water for their thirst. Forty years you sustained them in the wilderness. They lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out and their feet did not swell. Moreover, you gave them kingdoms and nations and divided them into districts. So they took possession of the land of Sion, the land of the king of Heshbon, and the land of Og, king of Bashan. You also multiplied their children as the stars of heaven and brought them into the land which you had told their fathers to go in to possess. So the people went in and possessed the land. You subdued before them the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, and gave them into their hands with their kings and the people of the land that they might do with them as they wished. And they took strong cities and a rich land and possessed houses full of goods, cisterns already dug, vineyards, olive groves, and fruit trees in abundance. So they ate and were filled and grew fat and delighted themselves in your great goodness. Nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against you, cast your law behind their backs, and killed your prophets who testified against them to turn them to yourself. And they worked great provocations. Therefore, you delivered them into the, into the hand of their enemies who oppressed them. And in the time of trouble, when they cried to you, you heard from heaven. And according to your abundant mercies, you gave them deliverers who saved them from the hand of their enemies. But after they had rest, they again did evil before you. Therefore, you left them in the hand of their enemies so that they had dominion over them. Yet when they returned and cried out to you, you heard from heaven. And many times you delivered them according to your mercies and testified against them that you might bring them back to your law. Yet they acted proudly and did not heed your commandments, but sinned against your judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. And they shrugged their shoulders, stiffened their necks, and would not hear. Yet for many years you had patience with them and testified against them by your spirit in your prophets. Yet they would not listen. Therefore, you gave them into the hands of the peoples of the lands. Nevertheless, in your great mercy, you did not utterly consume them nor forsake them. For you, God, for you are God, gracious and merciful. Now, therefore, our God, the great and mighty and awesome God who keeps covenant and mercy, do not let all the trouble seem small before you that has come upon us, our kings and our princes, our priests and our prophets, our fathers and all your, pe and all your people. From the days of the kings of Assyria until this day, however, you are just in all that has befallen us. For you have dealt faithfully, but we have done wickedly. Neither our kings nor our princes, our priests nor our fathers have kept your law, nor heeded your commandments and your testimonies, with which you testified against them. For they have not served you in their kingdom, or in the many good things that you gave them, or in the large and rich land which you set before them, nor did they turn from their wicked works. Here we are, servants today, and the land that you gave to our fathers to eat its fruit and its bounty, here we are, servants in it. And it yields much increase to the kings you have set over us because of our sins. Also, they have dominion over our bodies and our cattle at their pleasure. And we are in great distress. And because of all this, we make a sure covenant and write it. Our leaders, our Levites, and our priests seal it. They weren't just beating themselves up with this word. I like the way this day went. They spend a fourth of the day reading the law. When we talked last Wednesday and also this past Sunday 
Uh, it's so important before we pray, especially if we want something, need something. It's, our prayers are effective and can only be faith-filled if we can attach those prayers to a promise, to the Word of God. You can't pray according to the Word of God if you don't know the Word of God. So they spent a fourth of the day reading the law, and then the vast majority of this prayer that's recorded is reciting some of the stuff they have just read. This is what happened. We acknowledge this because you could see if they started with where they were today, the prayer might sound something like this. Lord, we don't understand. This is our land. You gave it to us, and here we are, servants in it. These kings, these princes of another nation, they still basically own all of our stuff. Drive them out. We're going to be uh, sometime in the next few weeks between now and Christmas uh, reading in Isaiah 64 where they cry out to God, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down and cause the mountains to shake and show yourself strong to our adversaries. This is what they're really wanting. This is their heart. These are Israelites who are back in Israel. And they're excited, and they're glad to be there. But their complaint is, they really aren't their own people yet. But they don't start there. This whole reading of the Word and reciting their national history puts them in a posture of humility. We're here, and we know why we're here. Every bad thing that ever happened to us, we don't ascribe it to the mysteries of your inscrutable will. We invited these things again and again and again and again. They spend a fourth of the day reading the word, and then they spend uh, another fourth confessing and praising God. And then the prayer begins in verse 7. They recite the word. They say, we've blown it again and again and again. And what do they also say? And you've been faithful again and again and again and again. I love how often the idea or the words, yet and nevertheless, keep occurring in that passage. You were so good to us, us, and yet we turned from you. We turned from you and invited this evil into our land. Nevertheless, You were good to us again, and you turned us around and brought us back to yourself, and you did so much good for us, yet we turned our backs on you again, and we started worshiping idols, and we did evil in your sight. Yet you were such a good God, you continued to be faithful. In your mercy, you sent the prophets, and what did we do? We killed them. Back and forth. We were bad, you were good. We were bad, you're still good. Until finally you let us go all the way into the hands of our enemies. And yet... You brought us back. We are acknowledging that everything that went wrong for us, up to and including the worst, which was the captivity, was our fault. You've dealt justly with us. And now we are celebrating the fact that you've brought us back to our homeland. Not because we deserve it, not because we're good, but because you're good. We are here today because God is good to us. They're even careful to recognize in the prayer that even though they are home, they're still under the power of these foreign kings. But they're focusing on the fact that we're back. And we're here, we're eating, we're drinking, we're rejoicing. 
and we're openly worshiping you. That's the other thing. Here they were under foreign kings who had foreign gods, and they were these, these kings. This king had actually given them official permission to go. They, they, they had uh, royal protection, actually, to do the things that they were doing. They had the freedom to worship. And why did they have this freedom? What did they do to earn it? Nothing. They have this freedom because God is good. And when we pray, we must, we must, we must understand that what our faith rests on, the only thing our faith rests on, is the promise of God. The covenant that God made with Jesus Christ, God the Son. That's the promise. And this is what we have to continually remind ourselves of. God and Jesus are in this covenant. We are in this covenant because why? We are in him. We are in Christ. We, these guys, they did it again. You know, here they say, we recognize we did this, we did this, we did this, and you continually brought, we're good. We recognize this, we were bad, you continually be good. And since we recognize your goodness and you've brought us back, we are getting back into this covenant. They meant it but they meant it back at Sinai too. And they meant it when the next generation crossed the river into, into uh, Canaan. There were so many times they meant it, but they couldn't keep it. And God knew that. And I think by this point, they knew it too. But that was no excuse for not striving, making these decisions. The decision was a good decision. We are in this covenant because of the finished work of Jesus Christ, not our own righteousness. I think it's proper to confess our sins when we pray, like they did. I think that's one of the ways this prayer serves as a model, is it repeatedly acknowledges our own sin. First uh, John 1, 9, what's it say? If we'll confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I do not think that that means enumerating each and every sin uh, as if if we forget one, we remain unforgiven. I don't think that's what it is. I think what this passage is saying is that we are agreeing with what God says about our sin. We're agreeing with God that we do sin. There's no pretense. Uh, I am in right standing. I'm cleansed from unrighteousness because what? Because God cleanses me. It's the blood of Jesus. I cannot be cleansed by pretending I'm not dirty in the first place. Our sin affects our faith like this. It's not that you disqualify yourself from the promise because you never qualified yourself in the first place. You get that? The promise God made out of his goodness and his love for us. The promise was, again, the covenant, the agreement between God the Son, God the Father and God the Son. We never qualified ourselves. It's the blood, the shed blood of Jesus that qualifies us. So when we sin, we don't disqualify, disqualify ourselves. However, if we continue to choose to sin, uh, what the Bible calls cherished sin, right? Habitual sin, sinning with a high hand. That the problem with that is, is ultimately it is a manifestation of unbelief. Whether you think it is or not. 
We can say we believe one thing, but if we act in a way that is con- uh, consistently contrary to what we say we believe, then we really don't believe it. We say we love God with our whole heart, and we love him more than anything, and we mean it. And we recognize that sin hurts God. And we recognize that our sin is so grievous that it took the death and blood of Jesus Christ to deal with it. And yet we continue to sin. What do we really believe? Now, God's merciful. All right? But it does affect our faith. It affects our faith because we are not living in consistency with the things we say we believe. And then we turn right around and say, and I really believe God wants me well that God has healed me, that God has met all my needs according to his riches and glory. Well, if you're not living consistently with the other things you say you believe, do you really believe these things too? So when we pray, speak these things out. These guys did. Uh, God doesn't need to be reminded. For that matter, uh, the word says he knows our thoughts. So he doesn't need to hear our prayers, but he does say to pray. Pray out loud. Pray with your mouth. Uh, And when we do that, when we pray out loud, that is an act of obedience that demonstrates our belief and our faith. It really means we believe God hears us, that there is a God we're speaking to who has made these promises and spoken these words when we speak these words back to him. God doesn't need to be reminded. We do need to be reminded. Even our salvation. What does Romans 10, 9 say? It says, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, One of the other things I like about this recitation, uh, and it kind of goes back to the psalm, I forget which one it is, where every other verse or every other uh, half verse is, for his mercies endure forever. And and the same thing, it went through, starts with creation, goes through the history. uh, For his mercy endures forever. And when we recite these things, and we say them, remembering what God did, there's a couple things about that. Number one, it reminds me of the psalm, you know, you've never failed me. You've never failed me yet. Look at all these things. Even as I'm reciting these things, the times I've failed you, God, and you've never failed me. I see a pattern here, and it gives me confidence to know that he's never going to fail me. Right? And it emboldens me when I see what God has forgiven again and again and again. And how even in the Old Testament, they were forgiven. How was God able to do that? By the shed blood of Jesus Christ, looking forward to the finished work of the cross just as we look back to it. God worked powerfully in their midst. There was no excuse, especially in those, those early uh, the early things that were being recited in that prayer, when, when we've talked about it a number of times, especially since, you know, well, since we've started this through the Bible thing, how that generation that came out of Egypt saw so much of the manifest power of God in a short time. It wasn't like they had to think back to, the, to generations before. They, this one generation saw so much just in a year and refused to cross the river and take the land. The first big sign of opposition they wanted to do. This is, that's what they were talking about. Well, we'll elect a leader and go back. That's when that was. And God forgave them. 
And sometimes, I, I admit, sometimes we look around and say, well, when was the last time I saw a real manifestation of the power of God in my life? Well, I think one of the things we need to do when we pray is to ask God to show us the things that we're just failing to recognize. There's so much around us that is constantly testifying of the power and the goodness of God that we're simply failing to appreciate it. It's something we need to make a habit out of doing. But one of the things we really need to do, and I'm glad I'm finished, I'm I'm glad I've gotten to this point kind of of early, uh, is testify. Now, we had two services in a row where uh, last Wednesday I laid hands on the sick, and Sunday I agreed, I mean, we used to call it touch and agree. Remember, because there's a verse that says, if two of you agree as touching anything, well, people took that word touch. It really just means concerning anything, but they'd say, let's touch and agree. So they'd hold hands, or they'd put their hand on the thing they're praying for. It's kind of funny, but anyway, I did. Just, just as a point of contact for faith, just as physical agreement, I grasped your hand and said, thank you, God, for the thing, whatever it was you were believing God for. And I've already had a couple people approach me and tell me some things that God has done that they've seen. I want to give you the opportunity just here for the next couple minutes. I don't want anybody to go long, and I'm not putting pressure on anybody. Nobody wants to. That's fine. But I think it would be beneficial for anybody who has received a manifestation of their healing or anything that they were praying and believing for to come up and share it. Does anybody want to do that? Well. Maybe I, see, I, I thought about telling you at the beginning of this sermon to sort of give you a chance to prepare it, but then I didn't want you sitting there thinking what you were going to say rather than listening to what I was saying. All right, let's try this anyway. I know this is risky. And I'm not going to pull a fast one and say, come on up here. How many of you can say, I, listen, God has done, and I know there's been a, ma- there's been a manifest difference in my life since we prayed, Wednesday or Sunday, but I'm not going to share the details right now. Anybody? Okay, now I'm seeing a few hands. Praise the Lord. And some of the hands I'm seeing were not the people who came up and talked to me, so that's interesting. Listen, I want you to consider, you know, we, uh, we do our best to make prayer requests and needs known via email and things like that, prayer requests for prayer. And, but we, always, we, we do also at uh, prayer on Monday nights, we share praise reports. If you've got something that you can share, uh, let me know about it, and if you want to, give me permission to share that kind of thing via email. So it's not always, hey, so-and-so needs prayer, so-and-so needs prayer. Let's rejoice with those who are, re- who are rejoicing. Let's rejoice with those who have seen the manifestation of the very thing that they've belie- been believing God for. Why? Does that need to happen in order for me to have faith? No, it doesn't. Word of God is the Word of God anyway. It's still encouraging. It's still encouraging. It's a reminder. It fires me up. And again, it's, it's fun to rejoice. I want to rejoice with you. Uh, and, and again, it just, it'll just continue the pattern. It'll fire you up, fires me up to read these things. When I read that psalm, it reminds me, his mercies endure forever. Yeah, look what God did. Look what God did. Look what God did. And it didn't even happen to me. It happened 1,500 years ago. No, sorry, 2,500 years ago, 3,000 years ago. Uh, depending on which incident we're talking about. And yet God continues to be good down through the centuries, and he's been manifestly good in my life. And I also am encouraged, my goodness, you know, it's not just I can look back at my life 
and see how many times God has saved me, how many times he's forgiven me, had mercy on me, showed me grace, made his power evident in my life. Uh, and I'm encouraged by that. Like, well, man, he hasn't given, me up through, given up on me through all that. What am I worried about? But I'm also encouraged when I hear the stories of how good he's been to you. And it's good for the body to hear that from time to time. It's just a reminder that God's not done with us. God has great plans for us. Uh, and it's not just for us. When I say plans for us, I don't just mean he plans to be good to us. I mean he has plans to use us as individuals, as families, and as a local body. Amen? When you read the word, number one, are you reading the word? Other than what I'm reading to you on Sundays? I'm pretty sure you are. And I'm encouraging you to if you're not. Make it a habit to read the word daily. So, when it's time to pray, because you never know what you're going to be praying for an hour from now, a day from now, a week from now. But the fuller of the word you are, the more familiar you are with God's promises, the easier it is to frame your prayer with faith-filled words. God, this is just like what you said you would do in Psalm 91, what you promised in Psalm 103, what you did for David, what you did for Moses, what you did for Nehemiah. You did it for them. You're not a respecter of persons. You said specifically you would do this. And while you're reading, look and underline specific promises. Stand on those things. God's a merciful God, and he's a father. But he responds what he has promised in covenant to respond to is faith. That's what pleases him. He's a merciful, compassionate father. But he's not moved by begging. Beggar, beggars might evoke pity. But God responds to faith. And faith begins where the will of God is known. Know his will. Pray in faith. Praying in faith doesn't mean demanding anything from God. It's simple, faith simply expects the yes. Expects and anticipates the yes. Because all the promises of God are what? Yes and amen in Christ Jesus. there was a line in that prayer where he said, don't let our troubles be small to you. That's a beautiful line. And it's one of the most important things about Jesus becoming a man. He experienced human troubles from the human perspective. And there is nothing, no problem in your life that is too small to the point where it's in, too insignificant for God's attention. We know there's no problem too big for God. Did you know there's no problem too small for God? He cares. He really does care. And the things that we need most desperately are the things that he's willing to provide most abundantly. And that's true of nothing more than it is true of salvation. What a joy it is. I can still remember. I can still conjure up the relief I felt the moment I realized I knew I could be saved that all I had to do was open my heart to the Spirit of Christ, invite Him into my life, and surrender my life to Him. That I didn't have to be tortured for the rest of my life wondering what would happen to me when I died. Do you have that assurance? 
I think you do. I think you do, looking around here. If you don't, please don't leave here without that assurance. When they start singing after I pray, come up here, let me pray with you. We'll pray for salvation. It's a simple prayer. You can have that assurance. And the great thing is, is once you have that assurance, you are in that covenant. Jesus never said to anybody, I'm going to save you, but that's all I'm going to do for you. Salvation is a package that includes every bit of it. The healing, the prosperity, the protection, the deliverance, the restoration, the wholeness, the, what Jesus called the abundant life. We know if we've walked this journey any length of time at all that abundant life doesn't mean easy life. It's not. It's not always pleasant. The same Jesus that promised us the abundant life also promised us trouble. What the abundant life means is we have everything we need in abundance. One translation in one part, and, we'll, and we'll, I think we, we will discover it here toward the end of 2 Corinthians on Sundays, is it's better translated a superabundance, a superfluity of everything that life requires. We'll never lack it. That's the abundant life. Remember that when you pray. Remember it every morning when you wake up. These are the promises that are available to you. How do we bring them? How do we appropriate them into our life? With our words. We speak words that are in agreement with the words God spoke to us. Don't squander these these days. Don't squander these years. We have an opportunity while we are here to make a huge impact on the world around us. And we're going to answer for how well we do that someday. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the reminder, the much-needed reminder that we get to come to you and we get to expect answered prayer because you are good. When we strive to be good, Lord God, and we should, help us to strive to do that simply to please you and let us not fall into the trap of believing that our goodness gets anything from you, that it earns anything from you. Nothing can be earned, Lord God, because Jesus paid it all. It's been given given to us as a gift. Help us to be good stewards of the gift of salvation and everything that includes. Help us to be good stewards of the abundant life you've promised. And I pray, Lord, now if there's anybody in the sound of my voice who does not experience that abundant life, who does not know you as Father, does not know Jesus Christ, your Son, as Savior, personally know him, that they would come to that saving knowledge tonight, that you would grant them Uh, awareness of their sin, conviction of sin, and humility and wisdom and boldness, courage, everything they need to come now and receive that free gift of eternal life. Fill us with your spirit. Fill us afresh, Lord God. Remind us that there is abundant power to do everything you've called us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you as you come. Thanks for listening. We hope that this message encouraged and equipped you in your walk with Christ. Make sure to follow us on Facebook or Instagram to stay updated with what's going on at Living Word Family Church. Have a great day.